Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. We do hunger for the Lord, and His truth is always revealed in the Scripture as God speaks to us through the inspiration of the Spirit in His called out men. Take your gospel, or take your Bible, and turn to the Gospel of Mark. It could be a gospel book. But the book of Mark is our exposition this morning. It has been for a number of weeks and months. And I tell you, your pastor just enjoys spending time with Christ, and so should you. Um, the opportunity to look at his life, to look, understand his ministry, to, to see all things that are going on. <clears throat> this morning, the title of your sermon this morning is Prioritizing Ministry. Let me take the time to read our scripture so as to let it settle into our soul. Starting in verse 32 of Mark chapter 1, the Word of God reads this. It says, When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So that I may, everybody's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went away into their synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Let us pray. Father, again, we, we are so enamored with the life of the Savior. Not only is there redemption only in him, but there is something so special to see the incarnation of God in man. To be able to display his, his miracles, his divine authority over all things. To be able to show compassion to those who were sick have an authority over demons by casting them out. This was part and parcel, Jesus, of your ministry. What's also remarkable, Lord, as we come, we ask that the Spirit would teach us that we would grasp what is best, what is important. Prioritizing those things which 
you call us to do, knowing that there is much to do. So be with your servant and be with our souls and our hearts as we study this narrative. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Early in my Christian life, as I was set on a course of ministry, I had a godly man tell me, Bear, the only problem with ministry is ministry. At first, I thought that was an odd statement. The man of God is called to ministry, is he not? To be engaged with his gifts for, for the sake of others, for the glory of God, and for his kingdom. And so discussion took place. He then explained that there will always be a need. There will always be a call to do something. He explained that there will be a constant pressure upon your life, and you must learn to prioritize in order to survive. Now, I must tell you, as a young man, you know, jumping into the ministry, desiring to do the will of God in my life, it was one of those things where that was a discouraging conversation. He said I had to survive. In order to survive, I had to prioritize. He told me I needed to evaluate. He taught me that the temporal pressures of others must not override the eternal purposes of Christ. And even in legitimate needs of others must not automatically be equated that that's what you must do. Now, I pondered that throughout my ministry life. Those were wise words for the young disciple. I think as a, as a young disciple, the desire to be Superman in, in every ministry, to meet everybody's need is our desire. Yet, he told me that's not the goal. He told me very distinctly, and I remember it coming out of as I see his face in my mind. He says, Christ and his purposes are your goal. And like I say, those, those words still echo in my soul. They, they remind me when, when life gets real busy, when I, when I think I am Superman. And when you think that you can meet all these needs and the weight of those things, the only problem with ministry is ministry. Now, I was thinking to myself, where in the world does he get this? By the way, this is very biblical. We see this in our, in our narrative this morning. Considering the life of Christ, you go to him and, and you look at him, not that we are going to be uh, divine in ourselves, but we look to him for answers of how about our priorities need to be. And so we consider the life and ministry of Christ. And Jesus didn't finish all the urgent tasks in his earthly ministry for all these things that he would like to do. He didn't always finish them. But what he did finish is what God wanted him to do. Jesus is living out here in our passage, showing us 
that there are times when the most spiritual thing to do is simply get this, say no. Why? So that we might give ourselves to the priorities of God's will and plan and purposes. I mean, that's going to be the end result as when we think about this, this narrative and how he's interacting with the crowd, how he's interacting with even the demons and, and his priorities to go to prayer and his priorities to go about preaching. He was set to do the Lord's will or God's will. He teaches us that often in the Christian life, the choice isn't between good or bad. I wish it was that simple. But the choice in the Christian life it's between good, better, and best. And at times we get caught up with pursuing good things that we neglect the better and best things. It is in those things, those good things, that get in the way of what is the best thing. This is what Jesus is modeling for us in this passage here this morning. We think we have a time problem. But the real issue is prioritizing what is best over what is good. Our problem is a problem of priorities that we must set forth, that we must ingrain in our mind and look for the things that are best. And as we come to these verses in Mark chapter 1, we see the wisdom and the balance of Jesus Christ as he mastered what was priority. The needs of others didn't chart his course, in other words. The clamoring of the people didn't take him off the will of God. And the same is true for each of us who are redeemed by Christ. So often the pressures of life build up and the demands of others put on us cloud the very purposes in which God has called you to do. Well, that's difficult, right? Because I'm a pastor and, and there's needs throughout and I come to you, but we've got to understand individually in, in, the, in the scheme of God, the plan of God, what is it that God's calling me to do, which is best? Instead of choosing good, may we have our hearts in tuned to what is Christ's best. Listen, it's not that good is bad, but it becomes bad when it distracts you from what Christ has called you to do. And when it comes down to best, Shree and I often tell our children, when you think about life, you're looking for the greatest impact for Christ and his kingdom. That is what God is calling you to do. So the, the need for ministry surrounds you. you. You've got to understand what is the greatest impact for the gospel's sake on the hearts of souls. That is best. That is what Christ calls us to do. And so as we go through these verses, Jesus teaches us how to prioritize ministry. And, and we can look at it in his life and we can pull these things out. Your outline's there to assist you. To hang some truth on as we go through this narrative. 
but it's safe to say Christ lived a real life that pulled him in all sorts of directions and his determination on what to do next. Of course, the eternal plan of God was always on his mind. He was a man on the mission. He was a, a God-man on a course for eternal purposes. Even though the world pressed on him from all sides. And we see this in, in the beginning of this narrative in verse 32. We see the pressures of ministry. We would think this is, this is great. The disciples thought that as well, that we need to stay and, and, and stay the course because the crowd's coming to you. We don't need to go to them. Look at verse 32. It reads, when evening came and the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. It's evening. Roughly around 6 p.m., the Sabbath day is, is officially over. I mean, this has been a long day of ministry for Jesus. It started in verse 21 with him and his four disciples walking into a synagogue where Jesus began to teach. It was there in that synagogue that he healed a man with a demon. Everybody was amazed and after the service was over, they went to Peter's house. That was custom. They, they went to, to Peter's house where his mother-in-law was sick. In those verses, we saw Jesus' pace of ministry. He, he was immediately moving from point to point. He was going with a man on a purpose. It was focused. It was urgent. And it often came with power, instant power. And we see that as he heals instantly. Peter's mother-in-law. He spoke and the people were healed. See that, that Jesus is, is kind of pulled in every direction, that they have put demands upon him, and he continues to press forward. It has been a full day, and now the day is over. The sun is setting, and now that the Sabbath is over, the people heard about Jesus' miracles. We see that in verse 28. Look at it real quick. It says, immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. Word had gotten out. Immediately, the news spread about him. I mean, this is just like the start of a horse race. When the Sabbath day was over, the gates were open, and the people fled to Christ. They were following the rabbinic law of the day. It was a restriction, according to the rabbi, rabbis, to, to carry anybody who was sick or had a burden on the Sabbath day. But once the clock ticked and hit 6 p.m., all restrictions were off. And so in verse 32, it tells us they begin bringing to him which is pretty interesting. You look at the Greek in this. When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill. This verb tense, bringing to him, has the idea that they were continually bringing to him. This was a great, huge crowd. A lot of people were coming to his doorstep. There's a steady stream of people that continued to grow and grow, and the line kept getting longer and longer and because it's Thanksgiving, here's your Black Friday illustration. It was much like that. Waiting for the doors to open. And the crowds were coming. They were swelling, swelling the doors, wanting Christ to come out. 
And so we continue to read that they kept bringing to him all who were ill. All those suffering from various illnesses, disease, many who had to be carried because they had no strength. They were brought to Jesus. And then the text gives us a distinction here. Not only were they bringing all who were ill, but there's a second category here. And those who were demon-possessed, Mark sets it apart. Second category of the text is clear on this. The second category are those who are demon-possessed. Why is that important? Why is that an emphasis for our understanding? Because we live in a day and age where there's a theology kind of swirling out there that anybody who is sick must have a demon. And that's far from the truth. Jesus separates the two and says that those who were sick came and those who were demon-possessed came. This became so personal to Shri and I when we were in seminary. We had a young couple who was just distraught. They were beat up in ministry and life, and they were going to seminary to, to kind of get their, their bearings back. And, and as I was talking to the, to the young man up here, he, he was talking about just how his last church told them that the reason why they lost their daughter was because they had a demon, a sickness upon her soul. That it was their fault, it was their sin that caused this. And you talk about a grown man being fragile in the moment. And you're able to look him in the eyes and says, that's not what the Bible says. There were those who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And so as our Lord is at Peter's house, these people have gathered at the door. They're, They're waiting to see him. They're wanting to see him. They're wanting him to enact his divine powers upon their issues of life. In verse 33, it tells us, and the whole city had gathered at the door. Mark is talking about hyperbole here. He's he's not saying that everybody was sick and ill and everybody had demon possession and everybody was at the door, but he's saying there's a a herd here. There's a a mass amount of people. The crowd was large. And then in verse 34, Jesus shows his compassion. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Jesus, healing instantly. As he comes face to face with them, he's healing them. They are in shock and awe of the power of Christ. The people in the back couldn't just, they're pressing forward upon him. They can't wait to see him face to face allow him to speak their illness or cast out a demon. I mean, I, I think about this. It's such a, a, be- a beautiful picture of, of, of us coming to him, wanting all that Christ could offer. However, in this case, they wanted physical healing. And that was their purpose. They, they wanted to be well physically. Imagine the response of the people 
if Jesus teaching and preaching left them in awe, just think about the miracles that they saw with their own eyes, where Jesus is healing them completely. And then it was next person up. Just think if Jesus' teaching left the people in awe when he did miracle after miracle, they no doubt were in greater awe in seeing Christ and his power. One moment they were sick, crippled, needing assistance. The next moment they were well and able to walk on their own. And that's the power that we see throughout the gospel. Divine power given to Christ because he is God himself, able to display that often in the gospels. We're reminded of the gospel of John where we don't have all the books on the world couldn't contain the miracles of Christ. And so there were many, and they were often. That was Christ's impact. And then what's interesting, he says in verse 34, we, we already saw this in the synagogue, that Jesus cast out many demons. That word cast out means to put out, to remove from. The demons were cast out with the authority of Christ. And we must remember and remind ourselves that every time we see one of these exorcism done by Christ is to remind us how sufficient and powerful he is. That even the demons run and hide. Then towards the end of verse 34, we get this odd statement where it says, he, Jesus, was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. You would think it would be just the opposite, wouldn't it? That you would want his divine power to spread out through all the land. Just as the ill and sick were going out proclaiming that all that Jesus had done to them, we would expect that Jesus would even want the demons to help spread the word that the Messiah is here, that Jesus is king and he has power over them. And so we asked the text, what's going on here? Let me give you a quick answer. And then I want to follow it up with some depth. For the quick answer, Jesus didn't want to identify with Satan as minions. They would not be his best evangelists. Do you understand that? They had a knowledge of God. Scripture points to that. Angels could not be redeemed. They couldn't be saved. He didn't want to associate himself that now these guys are speaking on his behalf. That's the quick answer. Jesus rejects any announcement of his person and mission by the demons opposed to God's kingdom, because once they left, they continued to do what, what minions do. They, they desired to thwart against the kingdom of God. These evil demons had only one course of action, and that was destruction. And so Jesus permitted them not to speak on his behalf. What's interesting to me, it's not only here that he does this, we see this in Mark chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. And I forgot to put the slides up. So you're going to have to just listen or turn your Bibles quickly. But Mark 3, 11 and 12, it says this. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. Write theology. And it goes on to say, And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. It's not just demons that he told this to. We also see in Mark's gospel that Jesus commanded silence after four miracles. 
in Mark 144, as we approach those verses, he tells the, the, the leper not to say anything. When he raised a dead girl in Mark 5.43, he tells the family not to say anything. In the healing of a deaf person in Mark 7, he says, do not say anything. The healing of a blind man in Mark 8.26, he says, do not say anything. And not only after miracles, twice the disciples are commanded to be silent in Mark 8.30 and Mark 9.9. 9. But what's interesting to me, as you continue to read those miracles and those accounts where, where Jesus calls them to be silent, you often, see the, you often see the opposite, don't you? I mean, how could you not proclaim Christ? In Mark 7, 36, and he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. So what's going on here? Clearly, the goal here for our Lord is not to have a large crowd for, for wrong regions. I mean, he's got people pressing upon his door. And if the demons began to proclaim what they knew about Jesus, huge crowds would continue to come. However, they would come for the wrong reasons. They would come for the physical reason. I mean, that would have been good. That would have been helpful, wouldn't it? But it was not the reason or the best reason why Jesus came. And the best reason why Jesus came was to give his life as a ransom for many. He was so set on a course for redemption, for the cross and crucifixion, that he didn't allow his stardom to be in the way. He came to save lost reasons. He came for eternal reasons. He came to save the lost, to be the atonement for sinners. Sure, it would be good to see the world healed with all of its infirmities, all of its sickness, all of its illnesses. But if that was the only reason that Jesus came, we would still die in our sins. They needed a Savior. We needed a Savior to heal us spiritually over the physical. They needed a Lord and Savior to save them from their sins. And Jesus had that re redemptive priority as we go through this narrative and throughout the gospel. He was set on a path towards the cross. I mean, this was the pressure that Jesus felt and had. Jesus could have spent all of his time on this healing ministry, but it would be at the expense of the will of God and the redemptive plan of God. The sick was constantly brought to him. Demons were often cast out, but Christ's resolve was to do what God called him to do. And so at this point, Jesus is in danger of having his life run by expectations of others, the crowds trying to dictate what he should do. And by the way, this is a danger that we often face. We're all in danger of others telling us what we should do in the ministry. The question is, do you succumb to such pressures? 
Or do you prayerfully evaluate what is best? I think the, the call for the Christian life is, is pretty, pretty simple. We know in Matthew 28, the reason why the church still is here is to throw seed to proclaim the gospel to all the nations. The church is here because we're still equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, to continue to go from this place and throw seed of the gospel. And by the way, your pastor will come to you sometime and say, hey, there's a need here. I'm fully expecting for you to discern if this is best. You understand that? Too often we think, well, well if the pastor came to me or if an elder came to me or somebody came to me, I, I, I must do what they want me to do. But that's not the case. Though they have good intentions, understand Christ wants you to do what's best for his glory and for his kingdom, and don't even let the pastor get, to get in the way of that. Amen. <laughs> we will pray. What's interesting is the sermon where it falls providentially, Mike. You think about, we have a, we have a ministry fair coming up. There are tons of needs but we want you to be in tune with what Christ has given you according to the spiritual giftness that you have in light of the kingdom of God. So we need to understand there will be all kinds of pressure in ministry. People will want you to be doing things left and right. They have an idea. They want you to fulfill it. But beloved, it's okay if you're not the one who Christ calls to fulfill it. And this is what's beautiful. I mean, he's had a full day. And the next point in your outline is that prayer and ministry and how the priority of prayer needs to be front and center. He's had a full day. He has, if you ever dealt with large crowds, he, I mean, it's, he is exhausted physically. It's only right for him to sit down and, and lie down and take a nap and sleep. But look at verse 35. It says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. It was before dawn. Sunrise, excuse me. It was before the sun was coming up. It was one of those things where he gets up somewhere between 3 a.m., 6 a.m., after a full day of ministry, he leaves the house and goes to a secluded place where he's alone, and he prays. He got up early to seek the Father. He went away from the house, went away from the crowds, and his disciples to a secluded place. I would almost guarantee you, that this is kind of reading between the lines, but the people, no doubt, were still probably camped outside the house. praying. And the way that the Greek uses this word prayer, and the verb tense that it gives us, it gives us this idea that this was an intense prayer. I mean, he is engaged. He's seeking God in light of what just happened the other day. We don't know the, the contents of his prayer in a sense, but 
But we do know that, that he is seeking the Lord, or seeking God. He is Lord. By the way, this was common in Jesus' life. He didn't let life get in the way of his prayer life. We find this throughout. Here's, here's her little list. He prayed when he was baptized in Luke 3. He prayed before he chose the 12 in Luke 6. He prayed when he fed 5,000 in Mark 6. He prayed before he asked his disciples an important question in Luke 9. He prayed before issuing the gospel invitation in Luke 10. He prayed before the teaching of his disciple in Luke 11. He prayed before performing a miracle in John 11. He prayed for Peter before his denial in Luke 22. He prayed at the Lord's Supper in John 14. And he even prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14. He prayed on the cross, Mark 15. He prayed after his resurrection in Luke 24. I mean, Jesus constantly lived out a life of prayer. He was immersed in it, saturated by it. And here's the point. If Jesus, the Lord and Savior, needed to pray, do you think we need to pray? And I think in the midst of all this, what comes out of it, his response is what we see with his, his disciples here. I, I think it's best to think that he was praying what's best. What's best? You and I both know that prayer lines us to the will of God. Don't, do you understand that? When we pray, we are, are, are submersing ourselves in the character in knowledge of the word towards the things of godliness. Prayer hopes, helps us focus in on what God wants for our lives. And when we're busy, too often we just do the opposite, don't we? We keep on running and doing. But what Jesus models here for us is that even when we are busy, it's time to pray. Psalm 25, the, the scripture reading that we had this morning, listen to how David seeks God's direction in prayer. I don't know if you saw that. Psalm 25, 4 through 5. David says this, Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. That is a prayer worth praying. Teach me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me understand when ministry is demanding a lot of time of my life, help me to understand what is best. David is praying. He's desiring to seek the Lord's will. He doesn't have his life on autopilot. He, he's seeking the Lord to teach him, to lead him. And it was just him and the Father. He's no doubt seeking to do the Father's will. Because like I said, what follows in verse 38, he's compelled to go to other places. And just like him, we need this in our lives. And the only way that's going to happen is by knowing the word of God and praying. Listen, you understand God's not going to send you if it's outside the pages of scriptures. Does that make sense? 
His will is eternal. We need to know it. We need to understand what he's calling us to do. And often, that is revealed why we are in earnest prayer to him. Prayer is our lifeline to keep us in tune with the priorities of ministry that God calls us to do. Simple verse with great meaning and truth. Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying. What have we learned so far? There's going to be pressures in ministry. We must have prayer at the center of it to dictate our, our direction for ministry. And then it leads us to the priority in ministry. Look at verse 36 and the following. It says, Simon and his companions, that would be the other fishermen whom Jesus called earlier, they searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Of course they are. Wouldn't you? I mean, you saw yesterday's events, did you not? All the healing, all the casting. Don't you think, I mean, the ministry set up for him. He can just set up shop there at Peter's house and let the world come to him. The disciples awake and noticed Jesus is gone. The people awoke and was looking for Jesus. And Simon and the other disciples go after him. They rightly do. Why? Because the demands were, we want to see Jesus. I mean, they find him and they give them this urgent statement that everybody's looking for him. It is as if the disciples are saying, hey, there is more to be healed. There are more demons to be cast out. Surely it's going to be a great two, day two of this revival. And so they urge him to return with him. But here's the point. Jesus understood that they were looking for him for all the wrong reasons. Even though sick, ill, demon-possessed, what they needed was salvation. They were looking for the physical purposes, and Jesus knew their heart motive. And so it says in verse 38, he said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby. And here's a purpose clause, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came to do. So distinct, so mindful of the call of God after arising from prayer in many hours in prayer, he says, I am not going there. I'm going to do what the will of God the Father has called me to do. I mean, he had his priority in clear sight. He understood his reason why he was sent and why he came. He had eternal purposes in mind. Doesn't mean that he didn't show his compassion. He often did. He often healed. But he came to die for sinners. He was heading towards the cross. He knew he came to preach this gospel message. He knew that he was going to be the gospel message. That was what's driving him in this ministry, in this beginnings of his public ministry. And then in verse 39, it says and tells us that, and he went into the, into the synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. 
Notice it doesn't say anything in there about healings. Of course, he did heal. But when Jesus taught, the minions, the demons, Satan trembled. He was focused on preaching. His preaching was the gospel of the kingdom. Even so, demon possession in his presence would be cast out because they were fearful. Now you think about this. This is a reminder for us in, in all of ministry that the word of God is supreme. Oh, it's okay to have a social function. But listen, to have impact in the spiritual souls of people, the word of God needs to be supreme. It needs to be delivered. It needs to be given. It need not be a distraction of the world and the pressures of life. And what we learn from Christ here is that he did what was best. He was resolved to do God the Father's purpose and will. And even when the good things were around him, where many people needed to be healed and many demons needed to be casted out, he didn't allow that to distract him from what he was called to do. Because that is what is best. Hopefully you see the application here in your soul. As a redeemed sinner, redeemed sinner, saved by grace, we must have the same priority in ministry. I mean, it makes sense. We're all about the gospel message. We're all about proclaiming this redemption that we have received personally. We are all about throwing the seed. Stay the course, beloved. You're going to see a lot of opportunities within the church, but my prayer for you is not only to see that in which God has gifted you within the church, but that you are staying focused outside the church as well. Sharing Christ. Pointing people to the Savior. Having a life that reflects that redemption. And being redeemed, you are, you are saved to be engaged in the Lord's ministry. I mean, scriptures replete with this. Seek first the kingdom of God. And whatever you do and were to do, you do all for the glory of God. I think of Matthew 6. I think of Colossians 3. Exhortation after exhortation to make sure that the priority that we have is Christ in his kingdom. Oh, you might show up on Monday to go to a, to a store and work. You might open up your business thinking, this is my job and my priority. Listen, if you're saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you have a gospel purpose. The kingdom of Christ is at foremost in, in front of you. Remember, the only problem with ministry is ministry. So the call is to prioritize. How can I be spent for the Lord's work, for his kingdom, and for his glory? Impressed upon my heart to even stir the hearts of, of, of you who are sitting and listening. The mission field is not only within our city, it's across the waters. Across the seas. 
And is the Lord preparing your heart today to be used for His kingdom and His glory later, somewhere out there? Why? Because that is what's best for you. We live in a place that is so overridden by media and feelings and everything's in front of our faces. When was the last time that you prayed, Lord, help me to know what is best? When have you spent time on your knees asking the Lord what is best? For your sake and for your kingdom. Lord willing, next week will come. And I would hope that you're already praying, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do? May you be in prayer with one another. May you be seeking the Lord's face and in the midst of his truth, asking what is best for your sake, for your kingdom. Let us pray. Father, we... We thank you for a short narrative that, that really stirs our hearts on the priorities of ministry. We have such a great example of Christ himself. He wasn't looking for the crowds. The crowds were looking for him. Yet within his own heart, he knew the reason why he had came. And he wasn't distracted by that. often we think that the success in ministry is, is by the how many people show up. How foolish a thought that is. May we seek Christ and Him alone. And for our lives, may we seek what is best that gives Him the glory. Help us to evaluate those things, Lord. Spirit, have your way with our soul. Push us towards what is best over even what is good. We're asking, knowing that you will supply all of our, our needs according to the riches that we have in Christ. May we not be afraid of what you impressed upon our souls and our hearts to do. May we step out in boldness. Because our desire is to exalt you. We pray these things. In the Redeemer's name, who has bought us with his blood, who has purpose and direct to go to the cross and atone for our sins, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.